Hello everybody and welcome to the Digitally Uploaded Podcast. I have taken control of the podcast this week and Alan has been banished. He'll be back against, uh, eventually, I guess. But for now, I have all the powers, which makes me very happy indeed. Um, I'm Matt, by the way, in case this is your first podcast with us. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of DigitallyDownloaded.net. And with me this week, we have three people. We have three different accents too, which make it nice and easy for you. We have Trent, who has country Australian accent. Hello, country Australian accent, Trent. Uh, this, this, this hurts me internally. Are you saying I'm a bogey? No, I was putting it nicely. <laughs> I was doing it the nice way. I, I read a poll accent. recently that said the New Zealand accent is actually the most sexiest, but I don't know who was actually polled in that. <laughs> well, nobody, on that note, we, would... actually, we actually do have a sexy accent, Matt. Hello, sexy accent, Matt. Hello. Yeah, I, I don't think anyone with ears was polled in that. They also said <laughs> Australia was like number five, so I don't, I don't Yeah. Know. I don't know about that poll, to be honest. I would I'd, put Australia roughly 320 out of the 321 countries in the world, maybe. Maybe. Maybe 321, that even. Sounds a bit <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say, there's not much worse than the Australian accent, putting aside Trent's awesome country Australian accent. <laughs> um, <Yeehaw! laughs> and then finally, we actually have uh, uh, an exotic accent this week. <laughs> We've got uh, James, who comes to us all the way from the UK with his amazing British accent. Hello, James. Hi, oh, right. I feel like I need to do some sort of really over-the-top English accent, but I'm not going to. <laughs> no, you. I, I can assure you, you sound plenty English to our um, less than cultured ears. Okay, so we <laughs> got lot insult the audience. No, I said uh, less our less than cultured ears. Oh. So anybody who's Australian and New Zealander might feel insulted, but everybody else should be good. Um, okay, so we're going to go to some music, some Hatsune Miku music, and uh, we're going to come back and we're going to talk about games and things. I guess, I guess that's our job. So we probably should do that.
and welcome back everybody so last week sony had a thing sony likes to do the things occasionally um it's its second state of play which is its effort at emulating what nintendo does with its directs where it shows off a whole bunch of video games that it's got coming it makes some announcements some surprises and uh shows off more of the stuff we already knew about and i'll let matt talk about this because i can't be bothered <laughs> Why do you want me to talk about it? I didn't watch it. <laughs> I, I watched the only tra only trailers afterwards that interested me, which was none of them. <laughs> <laughs> no, it wasn't that bad, I guess. It wasn't so bad. They showed off that interesting survival game thing, which is more like a documentary. Oh, yes, yes. No, I did watch that trailer. Um, I... The only reason I watched it because I, I was reading the news wrap ups and things, and I saw a game called what's it called? Like Away Survival Series or something like that. And I was like, okay, that's going to be another like Daisy kind of boring survival thing. There's no need for me to watch it. And then later on in the day, I just happened to see something on Twitter. Somebody was posting screenshots of a cute sugar glider thing, and it turned out to be the same game. So. The game that has a title that makes you think it's a boring Daisy survival game is actually a sort of interactive documentary thing about a sugar sugar glider surviving in the wild, and it looks really interesting. It does. It really does. It's um, it's nice to see because that one is actually being published by Sony, isn't it? Or did I confuse I'm not myself? Sure. It's, well, it's coming to Steam as well, so. Um, so maybe not. Well, maybe whoever's not. making it, it's it's good to see Sony at least showcasing some games that are not the same thing over and over again um, with slightly different characters. Uh, so yeah, I, I was quite happy to see that. Um, and I guess the other one that I was most interested in was, of course, Final Fantasy VII, the remake. Um, I'm more curious about that just to see how much of a train wreck it's going to be in the end. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. I, I'm still not sold on it. Let's put it this way. I saw the trailer and I was like, do we really need action? I mean, I know they're trying to appeal to the cool kids these days and cool kids don't play turn-based games, but does it really need that? I mean, Final Fantasy VII was kind of pretty good in itself. Um and that's why people still like it. So if you're going to remake it, why do something that the people who enjoyed Final Fantasy VII might not like? Um, so I wasn't sure about that. But then I saw Ares, and Ares is so pretty, and I was okay with it then. So I'll probably play it. <laughs> I think the only Spo thing I thought about the, uh, the, the Final Fantasy VII thing was just um, because it was announced so long ago, it felt more like it was less of a, hey, guys, look how far we've come along the development stage, and more of a, this is still happening. We promise that this <laughs> yeah. is actually happening at some point. Because it, it even ended with, uh, at the end of the trailer, it said, more to come in June. <laughs> I, think yeah. I think they're just trying to let everyone know that it is still happening rather than, hey, look how far we've actually got with it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think that's um, that's pretty true, to be honest. I, don't, I think people assume that this one's going to be one of those super delayed Final Fantasy games, which seems to be the way with all of them these days. Um, I, it's It's going to be a playstation 5 game i'd say for sure <laughs> i don't think there's any hope of it coming out this year as a ps4 title imagine if the more information in june was surprise here it is <laughs> yeah it's like it's out now enjoy um that, that would be nice i guess um, digitally only yeah digitally <laughs> digitally only download um and that would piss everybody off which would be glorious in its own way um the thing, I, I guess, and we'll probably talk about this more in the, the next section, the thing that I'm looking forward to actually the most about this is the inevitable Square Enix email when they send out the review codes and all that, and, and that email comes with a 20-page document of spoiler um, conditions because I just know it's going to happen, and, and it's going to be like, don't spoil this, don't spoil that. Well, I'm going to do it right now. Ares dies, and I've just ruined the game for a lot of people, I'm sure, but... What if they change the game? What if they make it so Ares can be saved? I would not be surprised I about that be surprised. because it's like the one the one kind of standout dramatic creative thing in that game was that scene. And you can't you can't do that now because it would upset people and you can't upset people with AAA games or major development games. So it wouldn't surprise me in the slightest if like if she doesn't die this time around because that would be too creatively risky. Uh, it, it wouldn't. It really wouldn't. 
which says a lot, I guess, about my faith in this project. Um, but, you know, what about you, uh, James? What a, Was there anything else from that state of play that particularly caught your fancy? No, not really. I thought the state of play was pretty poor, to be honest. <laughs> Other than the Final Fantasy VII and uh, yeah, the, what was it called again? Is it the Away? The Away Survival Series? Yeah. Uh, I thought it was interesting. I don't know why they picked a sugar glider of all animals, but uh, they're quite interesting. And they can glide, which makes for a fun game. Yeah, they can, true, they can soar true. through the air. And how many other games have you ever had where you get to play a sugar glider? I'm just hoping it's got a David Attenborough narration mode. Otherwise, I'm not playing it. <laughs> yes, that would be pretty good. That would be... I, I actually saw a lot of people tweeting about that. And I was like, yeah, that that really should happen because that would be ideal. I think the uh, the kind of the dungeon crawler looked okay. Only because I guess it had uh, all of the characters from so many other games. You had Bastion, the kid, and so on, and, and loads of other ones. I... I don't think it looks like it's going to be groundbreaking or anything, but um, I don't know. I, I just quite like the idea of all these studios separately collaborating together to kind of bring different characters to another game. I just think that's quite nice. Yeah, that one could be all right. Um, I don't know. I don't know if the trailer sold it on to me, to be honest. I, I get the sense that that game is going to be more enjoyable than the trailer suggested. <laughs> I think... I actually think Sony has an issue with trailers at the moment. I don't think that Sony is producing particularly interesting ones that show off the the strengths of their games or what it is about those games that makes them interesting. I, I think that Sony's trying a little bit hard to, to make them look mainstream appeal. And I don't know, it's not working for me. I think it was kind of disappointing just because uh, Sony recently have made this huge thing about themselves, about how they're, they're going to produce less games, but higher quality and... That seems to be kind of what they've been going for the last few years. But uh, yeah, so based on that, I thought the state of play would have a few more interesting things to offer, but it seemed pretty, uh, yeah, pretty lackluster. And I think that's kind of the difference between Sony and Nintendo. Like Nintendo is publishing 20 billion games <laughs> um, or it, it's closely involved with so many games. It's licensing out its uh, most valuable IP to little rhythm game developers. And uh, it, it's putting stuff like Boxway out there to go with uh, it, its bigger kind of blockbuster stuff which means it's it's directs are varied and vibrant and they show that nintendo's got a lot of creative stuff going on sony on the other hand it's not the same company that it was around the ps3 uh, towards the second end of the playstation 3 uh, sorry towards the second half of the playstation 3's life it was pushing out all these really great games like puppeteer and um rain and the unfinished swan and all these kind of really creative small to projects tokyo jungle Tokyo Jungle, like all of these really creative small projects. And it was amazing. Like it was definitely my favorite publisher at that point in time. Um, but it's lost a lot of that. And it is it is focusing much more on a small number of games that are designed to sell 20 billion units. And that's just coming at the expense of creativity, I guess, which flows through to these kind of videos. And that's why I think that none of us are particularly sold on what we saw. See, I find that many, like Sony and Microsoft in particular, when they focus on indies, it's because they're not winning. Like, it, all that console wars, you know, crap, like, sort of plays true to when they care about indies. So when it's suddenly like, oh, we've got this cool game, we like publishing, it's like, you know, not an AAA game, but it's like a low, lower class game, it's going to be great, it's sprite-based, or something like that, and then... You know, they only do it to gay, get people excited because it's like, oh, Sony's doing something for the gamers again. Like that sort of thing rather than, you know, actually consistently putting out games in that space. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're right there, Trent. And I think I, I think the thing is that it's definitely a way of getting, and I'm going to say the C word, it's getting content onto their consoles uh, when they're not the leader in the market and they're struggling to, to get, you know, major kind of... Um, exclusives from third parties uh, so they go to the indies as a way of, of padding out what they've got there for people and i remember tokyo game show through the playstation 3 towards the end of the playstation 3 3's life they had these huge banners up everywhere that proclaiming how much sony loved the indies in the indie section and it was sony was obviously spending a lot of money to help get indies to tokyo game show um i think definitely nintendo's kind of taken the baton as far as supporting indies go and i think that again, this this video shows the difference between what Nintendo's doing in engaging with indies and creating smaller projects and what Sony's doing, which is all about trying to 
get the Twitter hashtags going. Also, Sony does have also that indie program uh, in Australia where they've um, got the sponsored games, like stuff like Noah's involved. So they did, I guess, have, you know, programs like that at one stage, but it just hasn't been that follow through, um, I guess, to the other regions where they're getting indies interested in the Sony brand. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, Sony's doing some good things. Uh, I think it was, what, about two or three months ago, Sony had that big announcement about all the Chinese games that they're bringing out to the West. Um, and that was actually more interesting set of trailers because it was a whole bunch of stuff that was you know, mid-tier or lower. And it was interesting games. And it was coming out of China, which is a country we don't see too many games from. And it was good to see Sony actually engaging with the Chinese market like that. Uh, but in terms of what Sony itself is doing, I don't know. These videos have a way to go, and it is only the second one, I guess, from Sony, so we can perhaps give them the benefit of the doubt that they're still learning. And I remember the Nintendo Directs weren't great to start with either. There were more jokes about Iwata holding a banana or something or other. Um, <laughs> then then it, that was the memorable stuff. It wasn't so much the actual footage that was going on. So, you know, maybe Sony will get it, get their act together with the third one. Well, Microsoft's doing their own similar sort of shows. I guess that they're not doing directly what Nintendo's doing either. Theirs is more like, oh, today we've got this new uh, content update for the Xbox where we're changing the UI slightly. And then we've got this controller for you. And we've got some cool things in eSports. Like, that seems to be, like, Microsoft's approach as well. Like, it seems to be, like, everyone's moved to this, let's do a regular show thing, but they're not really doing the same thing, which is kind of good. But I feel like Nintendo has been the only one which has worked out how to actually make it work for their brand. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's because Nintendo was first and it is a learning curve and, and they're getting there. I will say one thing, actually, you, you mentioned with the controller. Uh, one thing that companies like Sony need to stop doing is promoting new consoles in these shows because a dull grey PlayStation 4 does not make for exciting <laughs> an exciting announcement. I'm sorry, it doesn't. It's dull grey. Great. A special edition. Yeah, yeah, dull grey special edition. You can be boring, but limited, uh, limited number of them. Um, yeah, I, I don't get that. So it's a slightly different grey. It's called storm grey, and it's in a platinum finish, Matt. You just don't understand. <laughs> yeah, I saw it. I saw grey, which it kind of sums up a lot of Sony's games. Really, Ooh, I mean, I'm in trouble now. <laughs> the fans. Let, are... Let's let's backtrack a bit. Um, the away stuff. Um, I was trying to remember what game it reminded me of, which is um, which is like an indie game. Uh, the Shelter series, it's on Steam. I think it's on a few consoles yeah. and stuff now as well. It seems to have that similar sort of vibe of you're like this little animal, but you're just wandering around exploring and surviving, but like AAA version of that. So maybe, you know, if you're interested in a way, maybe check out Shelter 1, 2, and whatever the third version is. Wait, there's a third Sheltered? I think there are only two. There's only two, dude. I think there, there's like DLC or something for the second. Oh, it, yeah. Oh. There's a, a huge expansion, which is almost like a game in itself. Uh, but you're right. I do agree. Sheltered is actually a really good game. Uh, I love the one that's. No, so there cool. is a third one. It just isn't out yet. Oh, okay. It's in development. Um, but yeah, to, to, to your point, definitely. I think Sheltered, uh, the one that Circle Entertainment put on the Nintendo Switch is actually a really good port. It has all the DLC built in and it's huge and it's actually a really good game. I, I hugely rate Sheltered. I, I would just clarify, we're talking about Shelter, not Sheltered, because <laughs> that's, that's a different game. Which is is... Uh, I get them confused. Uh, I, I do too, but I just <laughs> looked it up while you're talking to confirm Sheltered as a post-apocalyptic survival game. Ah, uh, just to be different. Yes, definitely not that. <laughs> definitely not that. Shelter. That one, that one is actually also on the Switch. So yeah, thanks for clarifying that. Yeah. Uh, Shelter Free comes out in 2020, by the way, and it's got like cool things like jungle animals, like elephants and lions and stuff. So nice. Well, that's cool. On that note, we're going to go to some music. Um, uh new guy james <laughs> new guy <laughs> i have no idea what music we're going to use so pick a song pick your favorite piece of game music ever i'm just raging because i've just bought sheltered on that recommendation oh <laughs> not no even right... <laughs> not even the right game uh sheltered is a good game i, I should clarify <laughs> it's not actually what we we're talking about but it is a good game in its own right you will enjoy it it's a it's a team team 17 kind of produced it's kind of like a premium version of uh that fallout shelter game but good. So, yeah. <laughs> 
it, it's actually quite good in its own right. So don't worry, you haven't wasted your money. Um, <laughs> sorry about that. Anyway, back to music. Pick a, pick a song, any song. Uh, I think we should actually from Final Fantasy VII, seeing as it was the best highlight of State of Play. Okay, Final Fantasy VII, yes. Let's do... I don't know. Um, what's a good song from Final Fantasy VII? Go for the boss music. Some boss music from Final Fantasy VII, and we will be back after this. And welcome back, everybody. Okay, so we're going to talk about spoilers this week because it's been a topic that's been floating around the nerdosphere a lot over the last couple of weeks, it's safe to say. Uh, once the Avengers came out, the Avengers Endgame movie, that that one, um, there was, I think it's nice to say, a lot of hostility around anything that could be perceived as a spoiler. And then Marvel decided to release a trailer for Spider-Man that was filled with spoilers anyway. So, you know, so much for caring about spoilers. Anyway, um, I guess it's it's an interesting topic because as a game journalist, as a game critic, one of the things that's starting to really frustrate me is the size of the spoiler conditions <laughs> uh, document that gets sent to you when you get a review code. Basically, they're getting bigger and bigger. Um, Days Gone had, it was at least, what? It, it was a solid page, wasn't it, Matt? Uh, of no spoiler conditions. Um, Pretty much. Yeah, it was about a page. And then I've had ones that are even more extreme than that, which it's getting it's getting to the point, I guess, where it is actually very difficult to talk about these games in any kind of depth because... Basically, everything you want to talk about, especially with regards to the narrative, obviously, ends up getting covered by spoilers because, I mean, my, my personal theory on this is that the, uh, the developers and publishers want to, or are trying to use this spoiler thing to restrict conversations around video games, um, to kind of hide stuff that they don't want people to be talking about. And when you're putting stuff within the first chapter, of the game behind spoilers, it becomes very difficult to talk about what happens in subsequent chapters. So you kind of end up being stuck saying, oh, this was a good story or this was not a good story, which isn't the most insightful uh, analysis. Let's put it that way. Um, 
So yeah, I'm. I mean, I know you've been given plenty of games to review that also have those spoiler tags, Matt. Uh, do you find it? Do you find it difficult to work within? Uh, yes, I mean it kind of depends on on the game and whether the spoilers are actually spoilers. But um, like I think Day, Days Gone was a good example where there were lots of lots of things that you weren't allowed to talk about. But the ironic thing was there was nothing that game did that was even remotely new or interesting. Um, well, that's that's kind of the thing, isn't it? Like, <laughs> and yeah, like all the the quote unquote twists were like so heavily foreshadowed that I think you would have to. The only way you wouldn't see them coming is if you actually just weren't playing the game at all. Yeah, that's kind of the thing, isn't it? There's this mod- muddying of what is a spoiler versus what is just a regular plot point, yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah. it, it applies to the Avengers too. You know, watching through the Avengers, there's not exactly much I would actually say is a spoiler. I mean. When you think back to what is an actual spoiler, if you were to go into the cinema and yell out the end of The Sixth Sense, for example, mm-hmm. and nobody had seen The Sixth Sense before, that is definitely ruining the movie because a huge part of that movie, in fact, the entire premise of the movie is built around that major twist. And yeah. without that twist, the movie loses a lot of its impact. If you watch it the second time, it actually has a completely different effect to you and you watch it in a very different way once you know what the what happens in the story than the first time you watch it through. But how many actual games or movies do that? Not many, I would suggest. Not many at all. And to suggest that regular plot points are spoilers is... I find it disingenuous because the developers and publishers know that they can whip their audience up into a frenzy around this stuff. But whether it actually helps the consumer or the player is another matter because without the analysis, what are we doing? We're not really doing much. And they get away with pushing out whatever kind of marketing they want around the, the game or the movie then without any without any in, uh, oversight, you know, without any criticism. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I find this, it, it's kind of going a bit crazy with regards to spoilers. I mean, you've got people beating up people um, for spoiling the Avengers. And yes, you yeah. know, if you yell out, the what happens in a movie in the line for that movie you're you're a dick but to actually beat somebody up about it is pretty bad and then to have people who are otherwise perfectly rational people then defend that person because oh but he spoiled it is um that's not good the problem with endgame though is like everything is predictable in the sense that okay the people which are leaving it's been talked about for ages like their contracts were ending they weren't renewed for multiple movies afterwards they're leaving regardless like how they're exiting you know it may be up in the air but they're definitely going so you could calm down about that the second thing like the biggest thing i i guess i hated is like small little details in an end game no one was talking about no one was talking about fun little things because it's like oh it's a spoiler don't talk about things like Fortnite in like end game like that's like considered a spoiler because it's like what? just one 10 second thing and because it's a plot point apparently it's like yep you're like ruined yes there's a Fortnite in uh end game oh wow that makes me even listen want to see it <laughs> yes it, the, the context the context behind it i guess is kind of spoilery because it makes sense and then develops up but it's not really does it relate to the thor stuff yeah, it's basically oh, yeah. yeah, four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the the thing is, I mean, and the, uh, the Avengers is a perfect example because in having that spoiler embargo lift, what was it about a week after the movie came out? It showed that Disney did not actually give a crap about the spoilers because they don't care about anybody who watched the movie after that first week. No. It was simply there to protect their revenues to make sure that there wasn't any criticism about stupid things like Fortnite in the in the movie, stupid jokes like that. There, it, it was that kind of protectionism to make sure that they got the maximum from the first week box office seats and because everybody had that big fear of missing out so they had to go and watch it because nobody was talking about it and that was that was their marketing strategy and i don't like the idea that people can't talk about a movie because of a marketing strategy behind it that's really uncomfortable for me and the same goes for games 
Mm. Like with the Fortnite thing, like it's like kind of, I guess, like as as a like you know someone which should should have you know if you reviewed it or something, I think that's like a really heavy topic you would have like ripped into. Like I I feel like that Fortnite actually is a negative, like because it's one of the first times there's actually been a physical identifiable product, and yes how it's used is not really in your face but it sort of is and then you've already got the promotions afterwards like you've got the fortnite um you know costumes for avengers and that sort of thing like it's this whole marketing thing behind this five second thing but it's like it's sort of like I don't know. Like, we're not higher, like saying that the movie is like a higher level and like it shouldn't do this stuff, but it's definitely something which was unexpected in terms of what the movies have been doing in the past. Yeah, I mean, and I guess everything I've heard about the context surrounding that makes me think it's maybe not the most positive depiction of Fortnite, but it's us gamers sort of thing it's it's really it's basically it's, it's basically a call out to nerd culture really it's just saying yeah. hey you know every, all the nerds are playing fortnite all the kids are playing fortnite so of course the avengers is related to fortnite it's you know you can associate one with the other we're still nerd cool, <laughs> all of that kind of stuff it's, it's it's literally on the level of if you were watching ncis and there was a video game scene for five seconds that that is the level it is <laughs> Good times. Yeah, so... Good, good times in spoiler land. Spoiler land. <laughs> Which there's is... no, there's no, no point in me watching it now that I know that there's five seconds of Fortnite footage in it. <laughs> You've well, ruined the movie. <laughs> that's, kind of, that's kind of the other thing, isn't it? It's I, I don't think spoilers really ruined the movie experience for no. people. If you know, no. with the exception of a very small number of films, like, again... Oh, actual example, spoilers, you mean? Yeah, like the the actually six, spoil it. Yeah, the sixth sense, you know, that is an actual spoiler and that actual would actually twist. and it would actually ruin the experience of the movie to watch it the first time because you need to go in there unaware of what happens. But for example, I mean an ex- easy example is if you already know the plot of Murder Murder of the Orient Express, which is that Agatha Christie crime fiction, and everybody thinks that crime fiction with its twists and or who done it and all that kind of stuff makes it the kind of yeah, spoiler-filled experience that you, you shouldn't ruin for people. But if you already know the plot of that, and then you go and watch a movie version of it, you're not you're not having that. That movie isn't ruined for you because it, it's about how the story is developed, how the how the characters are performed, all of that kind of th- stuff. They, you kind of engage with the film more deeply once you know what happens. <laughs> Like, say, so, Detective Pikachu, like, you know, that's not, like, rocket science what happens in there, but, like... <laughs> <laughs> well, but... I mean, to, fine, Detective Pikachu is a pretty good example. I mean, if you knew what happens, if you already knew what happens in Detective Pikachu, are you really going to have be put off the movie? I don't think so. I don't I know. Gonna, don't, you gonna... know <laughs> don't you know, Matt, only fans of Pokemon will enjoy Detective Pikachu. Mm. You'll you'll go into well, it and you'll watch different things and you won't be you won't be looking for to be surprised from it. But does that really ruin the experience for? I don't know. Trent, uh, are you are you saying only people who have played the Detective Pikachu game will enjoy the Detective? No, Pikachu no, movie? I'm ripping on all the bad reviews like for the movie, saying uh, like Avengers and stuff. Like um, no one no one's saying oh you need to watch 20 movies for this. Only fans of superhero movies were like this. No, <laughs> no one's saying that with Detective Pikachu. It's like oh you need to know what Pokemon is for this to get all the jokes. Blah blah blah. Only fans of Pokemon will enjoy this. Like well, what? That- yeah, well, most of the world is a fan of Pokemon, so it's not really a criticism. Yeah. Um, but the, again, I mean, a, good, a great example is we talked about Final Fantasy VII beforehand, and I am entirely sure that we will get no spoilers emails from Square Enix when the remake comes out. But if you know that Ares dies going in, and I did going into that game um, the first time I played it, is it ruined for you? I don't think so. <laughs> um, I, I don't think the game is affected at all you just know that one of the characters is going to die within it and um it doesn't stop you from getting emotionally attached to Ares. it doesn't stop you from caring that she's died or getting the emotional 
drive of that cutscene. So I, I don't think that these things have the impact that the marketing teams of these companies have convinced the world that they do. So yeah. Anyway, on all of that, um, Goose, yeah, Goose James, he calls himself Goose. He's got this Goose icon in the podcast chat that we've got going here, and it's it's really <laughs> distracting me um, because <laughs> Gooses are great. Anyway, uh, James, what are your thoughts on spoilers? You've been very quiet over there. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's hard to tell sometimes. People have different definitions of what they would call spoilers. Some people will care about all the little minor plot points, and some people obviously will care about the major ones. Um, I think just go back to what you said about Final Seven. So for me personally, that would have been a major, massive spoiler. So Final Seven for me was the first game I ever played that was like had a storyline that was beyond uh, Bowser's taken Peach again. So like it was, it was for, for me that was like a pretty big deal when I first played it. I mean, I, I think I would have been about twelve or something like that. So um, you know, and, and when when that did actually happen, I remember being like. Well, I don't know, it just kind of shook me a little bit because I remember thinking I've just I've spent hours and hours fucking uh, leveling this character up and working on them and they're one of the main characters and stuff. The next minute they die, just like, oh, crap. I mean, I, I, me personally, that kind of hit me pretty hard when I first saw it. And I think um, I think that probably, I, I personally would say that is, that is a spoiler. I would, I would yeah, that, that would annoy me if, I, if someone had told me that first because I thought if I'd gone into that game knowing that's a spoiler, I'd have been like, oh, right, okay, well, I'll leave her out the team, I'll leave her out the party, I'll just skip over what she says. She's, she's going to be dead soon anyway, so screw her. <laughs> well, but, I mean, the thing is, I, putting aside what you think about the trailer and whatever, you'd be interested in playing Final Fantasy VII Remake, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I'm on the same boat as you. I'm curious to see how much of a car crash it's going to be. Because uh, <laughs> uh, I, I just, that, that game's going to, that game's going to kind of float on through carried on nostalgia. And 95% of the sales of that game are going to be based on people that bought, that played the original. The 5% are going to be wondering why the hell 7 came out of, came out after 15. Which, um, is, which is kind of the point, because it means that the strength of that story is not that the character dies, right? Oh, yeah, um, yeah. So, I mean, if you, to go back to The Sixth Sense, we've, which we've been talking about a bit, that's a movie I can't actually watch anymore. I've seen it twice. I saw it once, got surprised. Luckily, nobody spoiled it to me. Watched it one more time and then realized, you know what? I don't really need to see this anymore. Um, I, I, there's no reason to watch this again. Whereas Final Fantasy VII, the strength of the story, has nothing to do with the, the, the surprise, um, no, I, I no. feel. So I, I think that, for me, that's kind of where the line with spoilers is, is if, if the story is actually it relies on that plot twist surprising you then it's one thing but if the story is strong and stands up by itself regardless of any particular plot point then it's not really a spoiler and it's important that we can talk about it because that way we can really kind of investigate why that story is so good so yeah for me final fantasy 7 it doesn't have those i mean the strength of final fantasy 7's plot is the environmentalism the the you know that kind of those kinds of themes that come out through the game, um, and you don't really, real, need... yeah, yep. I think the real twist in that in in Final Fantasy Seven specifically is more the uh, uh, well, I guess we said hers is dead now, so I can I can say this, but the whole um, the whole what happened five years ago thing, the actual truth behind that, because mm. that does kind of change the game for you, because if you go through it again, you notice little things about how they interact with each other, especially Tifa and, and Cloud and so on, so that that does kind of change in terms of what you know actually happened compared to when you go through it again, you know, actually that's not true. That is true. Or you, you spot the discrepancies and there's loads of little Easter eggs and hidden things. You could bump into other people in the game and they'll say certain things and you can be like, Oh, actually, I know that that's referring to this person and whatever. And you, that, that does fundamentally change the game. If you, if you play through it a second time, I'd say that's probably the bigger, if you're going to pick a spoiler out of it, that's probably the bigger one than than Ares dying. Yeah. I can certainly see the argument for that one. Um, and and just so you, it's, it's okay. It's been more than two weeks since Final Fantasy VII came out, so we're allowed. To <laughs> <laughs> so we're allowed to talk about spoilers until the remake comes out, and then all of a sudden we we can't talk about them again. 
See, I would also liken all these story-based um, ideas Matt's been saying uh, to stuff like Life is Strange. Like, especially the original Life is Strange, they like to use big, you know, final events at the end of a story to say, you know, basically it's like, you know, the next episode comes out, it's like, oh, what are they going to do next time? Oh, you know, this is going to be scandalous. Like, it was sort of like they were just doing that next level of, like, what else can we do? Like, that's how it felt. Like, but, like, if you knew, like, everything which happened at every single end of every chapter of life is strange for example especially the original one which sort of relied on that sort of plot escalating to this final moment in each of the stories which was just ridiculous like um you you wouldn't be ruined by the experience because of you know as matt was saying like it's just mostly the story like you're engrossed with the story so you're going to be sticking around even if you did know the final point and it's not going to change how you approach the final point because you're going to be so wrapped up in the dialogue you're going to be stuck around so well life is strange is actually a really good example because when that game came out i think it's the second chapter there's a character that attempts suicide right um and the spoilers in that game or that chapter very specifically said don't talk about this but at the same time they requested that at the bottom of the article we put a mention in there saying you know if you if you need help contact you know your your local um uh, hotline or whatever it was which is fair enough because that is a pretty heavy topic and people might need that uh helpline following the plane of that chapter if they've been affected by it so that's fine, but the fact we can't talk about it then makes it very difficult to explain what's going on in that chapter and, and so on and so forth. So I had a lot of trouble actually writing the pieces that I did on Life is Strange because we just kept butting up against these bloody spoiler restrictions and it just annoyed me in the end. So anyway, we've talked about this long enough. Let's go to some music. Actually, let's go to uh, the the, the um, Sid Matters song that kicks off life is strange because that's a great song and um it kind of fits given what we're just talking about so sid matters i think you just spoiled the soundtrack of the game for people i did i did very bad me
Welcome back, everybody. So let's talk about our favorite company of all time, Ubisoft. <laughs> I actually do like Ubisoft. Uh, it, it hurts me that I have to sometimes criticize Ubisoft because they are good people with their hearts in the right places, but they do some very stupid things sometimes. So Ubisoft has announced their new Tom Clancy game. And as we all know, that inevitably comes with Ubisoft insisting that the game is not political. Um, Matt maybe is best to describe the what the game's about because to be honest, I don't care. Um, to be honest, I don't care either, but I was reading something about it recently, so it's fresh in my mind. Um, so it is a, what, what's it actually called? Ghost Recon. Ghost Recon Breakpoint is the name, and it seems to be about um, some basically some some rogue American soldiers kind of break into Silicon Valley to steal drones and whatnot and use them to assassinate election candidates. Um, which, of course, is... There's nothing political about that. Yeah, it's it's amazing that I actually did come out and explicitly say that this game is not a political game, which it quite obviously is to anybody that has a basic level of critical ability. Um, and Tom Clancy himself wrote the most obscenely political books. I don't know if anybody who is a fan of these Tom Clancy games has actually read a Tom Clancy book. <laughs> I have. Uh, I actually put myself through Rainbow Six, which is a mammoth book. It's like 800 pages of the most poorly written dross you'll ever imagine. <laughs> Tom Clancy is not a good author. Um, he's a very easy to read author, which is probably why game developers like him. But um his work is terrible, absolutely terrible. Uh, but it is very political. It is inherently political. It is inherently uh, American patriotism, nationalism, go American, you know, flex those muscles, Yankee, Yankee stuff. And, um, <laughs> and well, that's what it is. That's what his book's <laughs> about. They're built entirely on that premise, and that is the, they're an actual promotion of all of that stuff. And to call that stuff non-political is ridiculous. And to call games that are based on Tom Clancy's work and life and nonsense is is nonsense. So to say that this is not political stuff is crazy. Absolutely crazy. I think my favourite bit is um, one of the quotes from one of the lead developers where he, in sort of ex explaining how it's not political, and he says... It's a what-if scenario. Scenario. It's Tom Clancy. It's purely fictional, and just that—that that seems to be the be the point that it's fictional and therefore it's not political. And just how 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 do you get to be one of the biggest game publishers in the world? It, it's like the great that... um the great statement they did for Wildlands. It's like uh, when the Bolivian uh, government complained about it. It's like while the game's premise imagines a different reality than one that exists in Bolivia today, we hope that in game world comes close to representing the country's beautiful topography. <laughs> Which is, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, I am, um, yeah, I, I just don't get it. And I think the danger is that with the behavior of companies like Ubisoft insisting that their games are not political and all that kind of stuff and stepping back from taking responsibility for that as they should, as they should not do, they should be taking responsibility and owning what they're doing. But their, their insistence on, insistence on stepping back from it is actually really affecting the conversation quality around video games at the moment, because there are people out there who absolutely insist that, um, there are games that are not political, which are quite overtly political. There was a great tweet from somebody that went out the last week about how Western game developers spend too much time kind of worried about the politics of their games and blah, 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 blah. But Japanese games don't because of these examples. And the examples they showed were Yoko Taro from Near Automata. And the best one of all, uh, oh, sorry, there was also uh, the guy that created Bayonetta because, of course, Bayonetta have been a strong sexually uh you know um a strong woman with control over her sexuality is not a political statement um the other one that they showed was kojima who directed who created the middle gear solid series and anybody who thinks that middle gear solid is not political is 
Well, they're an actual lunatic. <laughs> like, they, 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 they haven't played the game. Like, they are a genuine lunatic. Um, there, there is absolutely no way that you could look at any of those games. Yoko Taro's game is hugely political. Nier Automata is political, you know, end-to-end. Um, Bayonetta is a political statement in itself. And Metal Gear Solid is built entirely around um, a political message, uh, and it, you know, anti-war, fundamentally, and anti-war message. So... I don't understand what these people are looking at. And the only thing I can think of is just there's this perception that politics in video games means saying things that are uncomfortable rather than um, politics, rather than politics, because basically, you know, it's pretty hard to write a story or even not refuse to write a story without some kind of political message coming through it. It's, it's kind of fundamental to storytelling. So, I don't know. I mean, even Tetris is political. And people don't realize that, but Tetris is a highly political game. <laughs> it was developed by a Russian guy, and it's quite clearly a um, quite clearly a, a commentary on capitalist systems. Like, this is, this is explicitly what it is. If you, again, apply basic critical analysis to the game, it, it's not an apolitical game even though it doesn't have a story it's yeah so i think people have a very narrow understanding of what is and isn't politics and i think that companies like ubisoft are not helping things by going out there and champion that narrative so it's all a mess i the one the one useful thing i learned from all this recent discussion that i wasn't aware of before but apparently in metal gear solid 2 the the uh, I can't remember his name. The, the final boss, the bad guy, and he has two swords. Um, his swords are named. Uh, their names are the Japanese words for Democrat and Republican. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> but I didn't know that either. That's an interesting know. bit of trivia. <laughs> I, I don't think it actually comes up in the game anywhere. But yeah, it's definitely not a political game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It just bugs me this this conversation because it actually does limit how we can talk about games then because now with Ubisoft out there saying that our game's not political, anybody who then decides to write a political analysis of the game is immediately, I mean, you can be dismissed as being, you know, this is not what the developers intended, which is, it hurts the conversation around the game because a lot of Ubisoft games actually do have conversations. I mean, are, are worthy of having conversations around that wildlands one. Was it wildlands? The one set in Bolivia? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it it was a game that needed to be analysed because it says things that um, that it I don't know it, it's that game still blows my mind how bad it is to be honest. Yeah, that's... not that it plays bad it wouldn't necessarily it's just the way it tells its story is just abysmal. But again, Tom Clancy, so you get what you, you get what you pay for, I guess. And Far Cry Five definitely didn't go uh, far enough with. Uh the white supremacist message well that's the thing i think that i actually think that originally there was uh, a greater intention in, uh, within ubisoft to do something with that um based on that first trailer i think they were going to push that but after the response they got from the people who like stopped putting politics in video games um they pulled back on it and it ends up being an inferior product as a result and that's the thing we can't have developers pulling back on this stuff out of a fear of being perceived to be political about it because then you get weaker stories you get worse stuff imagine if kojima decided not to do a whole bunch of stuff because he was actually worried that some people might see metal gear solid as political i mean imagine what would be left there would not be much of a game it's, which actually does describe a lot of ubisoft games to be honest yeah. um, <laughs> he would end up making um that multiplayer metal gear solid game yeah exactly <laughs> exactly now, now the division is good. <laughs> I'm not. I'm really not. Ra I'm really not ragging on Ubisoft for the quality of their games. I everybody knows I love my Assassin's Creed, and um, there, there's a lot of other stuff from Ubisoft. I, I'm quite partial to, but yeah, the way they handle certain game franchises, particularly Tom Clancy and Far Cry, just annoys me because you know um, I'm no fan of Bethesda, but at least those guys are out there doing killing nazis is fun trailers and 
been being comfortable with wearing a certain percentage of the population getting pissed off with them for being political in their video games because it's such a bad political statement to hit a Nazi in the head with an axe, apparently. But yeah, it's difficult. It's a it's it's not a good time for having conversations around video games. There seems to be all these efforts to limit what we can say about them. We can't talk about games as politics because they're not making games that are political. We can't talk about spoilers because that would ruin the experience for people. Um, it'd be nice if we could just talk about games. On that note, I think I've done my rant for the week. I got it out. <laughs> Everybody tuned out when I started talking about the uh, Ubisoft. I can, I'm sure there's nobody actually listening to this part of the podcast anyway. Um, it's like oh, the third segment turns off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah. Oh no, he's about to start talking about Ubisoft and politics, and then yeah. We actually get the statistics on where people tune out of these things, and I can pretty much guarantee where everybody's going to tune out of this one. <laughs> <laughs> but but I will pick some nice music to finish things up. Um, A reward for the people who persevered all the way to the end. Yeah, something really good. We'll pick some music from the very non-political Metal Gear Solid um, to finish things up. That's got pretty good music from memory. And uh, yeah, thanks to everybody for tuning in. Thanks, Goose slash James, for your first podcast. I hope we didn't scare you away from doing them in the future. <laughs> yeah, no worries. Cheers. Uh, thanks, Matt and Trent, for being on as uh, you often are. <laughs> You're regulars, you. And uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. We will be back next week with more antics and stuff. <laughs>